All right, turn in your Bibles this morning to Matthew chapter 10. We have a great study in front of us today. And as always, uh, the Word of God is going to challenge us. And this will be, uh, if you haven't felt challenged yet in the book of Matthew, then uh, you're not listening. But today it gets a little more intense. I'm just giving you a forewarning of what is happening with uh, this passage of Scripture. So Matthew chapter 10, uh, let's begin reading. Man, there's so much here, I don't even know where to stop. Uh, let's, let's just go, let's just read it. Matthew chapter 10, beginning in verse 1. And when he had called his twelve disciples to him, he gave them power over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal all kinds of sickness and all kinds of disease. Now the names of the twelve apostles are these. First, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector, James, the son of Alphaeus, and Lebius, whose surname was Thaddeus, Simon the Canaanite, and Judas Iscariot, who also betrayed him. These twelve Jesus sent out and commanded them, saying, Do not go into the way of the Gentiles, and do not enter a city of the Samaritans, but rather go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel, and as you go, preach, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out demons, freely you have received, freely give. Provide neither gold nor silver nor copper in your money belts, nor a bag for your money, nor two tunics, nor sandals, nor staffs, for a worker is worthy of his food. Now whatever city or town you enter, inquire who in it is worthy and stay there till you go out. And when you go into a household, greet it. If the household is worthy, let your peace come upon it, but if it is not worthy, let your peace return to you. And whoever will not receive you nor hear your words when you depart from that house or city, shake off the dust from your feet. Assuredly, I say to you, it will be more tolerable for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than for that city. Behold, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. Therefore, be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. But beware of men. For they will deliver you up to councils and scourge you in their synagogues, and you will be brought before governors and kings for my sake, as a testimony to them and to the Gentiles. But when they deliver you up, do not worry about how or what you should speak, for it will be given to you in that hour what you should speak. For it is not you who speak, but the Spirit of your Father who speaks in you. Now brother will deliver up brother to death, And a father, his child, and children will rise up against parents and cause them to be put to death. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake. But he who endures to the end will be saved. But when they persecute you in this city, flee to another. For assuredly, I say to you, you will not have gone through the cities of Israel before the Son of Man comes. A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for a disciple that he be like his teacher, and a servant like his master. If they have called the master of the house Beelzebub, how much more will they call those of his household? 
Therefore, do not fear them, for there is nothing covered that will not be revealed and hidden that will not be known. Whatever I tell you in the dark, speak in the light. And whatever you hear in the ear, preach on the housetops. And do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. But rather fear him, capital H, speaking of God, who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a copper coin, and not one of them falls to the ground apart from your father's will? But the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Do not fear, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. Therefore, whoever confesses me before men, him I will also confess before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, him I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. Do not think that I came to bring peace on the earth. On earth, I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a man's foes will be those of his own household. He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he who does not take his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. He who finds his life will lose it, and he who loses his life for my sake will find it. He who receives you receives me, and he who receives me receives him who sent me. He who receives a prophet in the name of a prophet shall receive a prophet's reward, and he who receives a righteous man in the name of a righteous man shall receive a righteous man's reward. And whoever gives up one of these little ones, only a cup of cold water, excuse me, whoever gives one of these little ones only a cup of cold water in the name of a disciple, assuredly I say to you, he shall by no means lose his reward. Lord, may you bless your word and may you speak to us today as we hear everything you have to say from this incredible passage of scripture. May our hearts be attentive, may our minds be open, may our hearts be soft as we encounter your word. In Jesus' name, amen. An incredible passage as I was reading it and praying over it and studying it. I just didn't feel like we could divide this up very well, so we are going to go through it this morning. As you may recall back in chapter 9, when we finished last week, Jesus said when he saw the multitudes, if you just look back a few verses, he was moved with compassion for them because they were weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. And then he said to his disciples, the harvest truly is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. So Jesus immediately begins to put feet to that command to show them how faith works. And so he sends them out. And so while he tells them to pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest, he says to them, I'm sending you out. So you're going to learn what it's like to trust God. And so he called his disciples to him. And it says in verse 1 of chapter 10, he gave them power over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal all kinds of sickness and all kinds of disease. The word power here, when we see the word power in English in the New Testament, it's usually one of two words. One of those words is often dunamis, the power of the Holy Spirit, the dynamic power of God. And the other one it can uh, be translated either power 
or it can be translated authority or kingdom, and that's the word exousia. That's the word that's used here, and this exousia is the power of authority. It's influence. It's of right. It's, a, it's privilege. And so Jesus is saying, I'm giving to you the authority to do these things. And you may remember at the end of the book of Matthew, what we all know as the Great Commission, where Jesus says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, and I'm giving it to you. And that's what he's doing here. This is sort of a practice run for the disciples, but it's also a model for us. And so when he had called them together, he gave them power. Listen to the power or the authority he gave. He gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal all kinds of sickness and all kinds of disease. Now, up to this point in time, hasn't Jesus done all those things? Hasn't he been casting out unclean spirits? Hasn't he been healing sicknesses? Didn't he just resurrect a little girl from the dead? Jesus did all those things. They've watched him do it. Now he's saying to them, you're going to do these things, disciples. Now in verse 2, we have sort of a switch. In verse 1, they're called disciples. In verse 2, they're called apostles. Now, now the names of the 12 apostles, as Matthew is looking back and recounting this, are these. First, Simon, who is called Peter and Andrew, his brother. James, the son of Zebedee and John, his brother. Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector, James the son of Alphaeus, and Lebius, whose surname was Thaddeus, Simon the Canaanite, and Judas Iscariot, who also betrayed him. Now, a disciple is a follower or a learner. It's someone who, in this case, was uh, following Christ. Now, the word disciple existed long before Jesus coined it, and uh, any teacher could have disciples. But these disciples were learners and followers of Jesus himself. But we are told in other passages of Scripture that before Jesus selected and named who his apostles would be, and these are those who would be closest to him, and not only the apostles, many disciples witnessed the things that Jesus did, but these 12 men were to be the men who would be sent out. The word apostle means one who was sent with a commission or with a message. And so these men, these disciples who were selected to be apostles, were the men who were commissioned in the New Testament with the authority and the power of Jesus to do something very unique. And and listen, although I believe the gift of apostle or the office of apostle may exist today, it is certainly not in the same way that the office of apostle was when Jesus commissioned these men, because when Jesus commissioned these men, there was no New Testament. It was being written. And later, Jesus will say, the Spirit's going to speak to you and speak through you. And as the Spirit of God spoke to and through these men, these original 12, minus, of course, Judas Iscariot, the Word of God was written. That's what we hold in our hand. That's the New Testament. And so these men were very unique in their calling and in the enabling and the authority that Jesus gave them. Nonetheless, as we go through this this morning, we will seek to make application to ourselves as we see how Jesus spoke to and through these men. Now, if you are into these kinds of things, if you look at the other Gospels, you'll see that there are four different lists of the 12 apostles in the New Testament here in Matthew. Also in Mark chapter 3, 
uh, in Luke chapter 6 and in Acts chapter 1 verse 13. In these lists, Peter is always listed first and Judas is always listed last. The, the two pairs of brothers, Peter and Andrew, James and John, are always listed first in the order of brothers. And in the list, they are arranged in a way that suggests that they were arranged in three groups of four, each with sort of a leader. So in each list, Peter is mentioned first, followed by Andrew. And as we read and study about Andrew, uh, you know, we're going to talk more about Peter as we go. He's certainly a very dominant personality. Andrew was the one, you may recall, who was always bringing people to Christ. He is the one who brought Peter, his brother, to Christ. And he was inviting people all the time. James and John, as we read here, the sons of Zebedee and other places, they are called Boangeries or sons of thunder. And you get the sense that these two guys were quite boisterous. And before they came to the Lord, they were just a rambunctious kind of uh, group of guys. And uh, I'm sure the Lord harnessed and corralled that and used that for his glory. So certainly the Lord can take us and our personality and our disposition and use that for his glory. And then as we read through these here, um, each of these men seems to have a, a purpose. They had a personality, and as you read through the scriptures, you see some of that come out. We're not going to dwell on that today. Uh, some of these men had, um, you know, other names that they were called by. Bartholomew is often identified with Nathaniel in the Gospel of John, so it would seem like there were sort of two names there. Sometimes they had both a Jewish name and a, a Greek name. So they are called disciples in verse 1 and apostles in verse 2, and it's worthy of notice that those who were Christ's apostles were first his disciples. To intimate that men must first be taught of God before they be sent of God. I think that's important for us to note. That we as disciples of our Lord Jesus Christ, and certainly we are, if you this morning have answered the call of the gospel upon your heart, then you are his disciple. And as we read about the disciples and what they did and how they followed the Lord, these are things that we are to emulate in our lives. In verse 5, we find here that Jesus sent these 12 out and commanded them, saying, Do not go into the way of the Gentiles. Do not enter a city of the Samaritans, but rather go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. We know that the pattern of the gospel throughout the New Testament has always been to the Jew first and then to the Greek. Paul says that in Romans chapter 1. But in John chapter 1, beginning in verse 10, here's what we read about Jesus. He was in the world and the world was made through him and the world did not know him. He came to his own and his own did not receive him. Now his own were the Jews. But as many of them, as many Jews as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God to those who believe in his name. Jesus had a plan, and his plan was the Jews first, the, the lost sheep of the household of Israel. And Jesus was telling these disciples, you're going to go just to them. You're not going to the Gentiles. We know that'll happen later in the book of Acts. You see, as we zoom out a bit, we can see the plan that God had. As Jesus begins to unfold that plan here with uh, this inner group of his 12 disciples, he's saying, no, first we're going to go to the Jews. 
We're going to give it a good try. We're going to share the gospel with them. And we know by the time we come to the cross that the Jews have, for the most part, rejected Christ. And we know as we come into the book of Acts, on the day of Pentecost, when the Spirit comes upon those apostles, we know that story that on that day, there in the feast, that they stood up filled with the Spirit and they began to proclaim to all of the Jews who had come into the city of Jerusalem. And so the, the, the fulfillment of that plan that Jesus began here, go first to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But here at this point, since the cross hadn't happened, verse 7, and as you go, preach, saying, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That means the kingdom of God is near. The Lord is near, and Jesus, of course, wanted them to take the good news of him into these cities because later we'll see, as we go on in the gospel, that Jesus is now going to go as he travels and follow up in those cities that they go to. He's going to send them out, and then he's going to follow. They're, they're sort of the advance team. They're going to break the ice. And then he's later in his ministry going to continue and follow behind them. And that's so often the way it is, isn't it? The Lord will send out someone into an area where no one has heard of Christ. They'll be sort of a pioneer, a missionary, much like the Apostle Paul. And in his missionary journeys, his first journey, Paul was doing just that. He was a, a pioneer, a trailblazer. And so these men were going out to do just that. They were trailblazing in the name of the Lord. And as they were preaching, saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand, the word preach, of course, means to herald or proclaim. So they were not uh, being passive. They were being bold because Jesus told them to be bold. These things that Jesus told them were commands. Let's not miss that this morning. These were imperatives. These are things he told them they must do. And he told them in verse 8, heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out demons. Because that's what Jesus did, and he wanted them to do the same thing. We know later, John will tell them in, in John, Jesus will tell them in John chapter 16, he says, the things that I have done, you will do greater things because I'm sending the Holy Spirit. So they're sort of getting a taste, if you will, right now, uh, of going out and ministering in the name and the authority of Jesus. And he says a little bit later here that the Spirit will empower you. But this will be a foretaste of what he will do on the day of Pentecost and in the days following the day of Pentecost when the Spirit comes upon them and when the Holy Spirit empowers them and when he endues them with power from on high, they will have a power that was will be much, much greater and much more pervasive than what they're experiencing here. But Jesus gives them again his authority. He transfers his authority to them, and they have the ability to authenticate the message with signs and wonders, healing the sick, cleansing the lepers, raising the dead, casting out demons, all things that Jesus had already done up until this point. And then he says, freely you have received freely give. Now, often people, I think, misuse this, and they try to use this as a passage to persuade people to open up their wallet and to give to the church. I don't think that's what this is talking about at all. I think this is talking about what they have seen and received of Jesus as they've been uh, living with him and hanging out with him and traveling with him. What have they received? They've received grace and mercy and blessing, and they've witnessed the things of Jesus, and they've begun to perhaps 
discover in some small way what gifts the Lord might give them in terms of their spiritual giftings, which, of course, later is revealed to us in the New Testament. And so he's saying, as I have gifted you with authority, with power, with grace, with knowledge, you've been seeing who the Father is. You've been seeing what faith is like. As you have received these things, freely give these things. You see, our faith is always meant to be passed along. Our faith is never meant to be hoarded. Our faith is never meant to be kept to ourselves. You see, in God's kingdom, in God's economy, there's no such thing as an undercover Christian, a CIA Christian, covert operations. Hey, I'm here. I'm the Lord's servant, but, you know, I'm kind of on the down low, right? That's not how it works in God's kingdom. We are to be bold. Jesus is telling these disciples to be bold. And the further we go along, especially at the end of the passage, he's going to call us out. He's going to call out all of his disciples. So he's saying, go and preach. And Jesus transfers this authority upon them. Remember in the Gospel of Luke, as Jesus began his ministry, he had gone in in Nazareth to the tabernacle there, and he was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened it, he found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, the recovery of sight to the blind, and to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. And then he closed the book and he said, Today, in your hearing, this scripture is fulfilled. That's how Jesus began his ministry. Now he's telling them, I'm giving you this authority. And as we go on, he says in verse 9, Provide neither gold nor silver nor copper in your money belts, nor a bag for your journey, nor two tunics, nor sandals, nor staffs, for a worker is worthy of his, his food or his wages. Now, whatever city or town you enter, inquire who in it is worthy and stay there till you go out. And when you go into a household, greet it. And if the household is worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if it is not worthy, let your peace return to you. And whoever will not receive you nor hear your words when you depart from that house or city, shake off the dust from your feet." So Jesus tells them where to go, where not to go, what to do, what not to do, what to take, what not to take, where to stay, where not to stay. You see, Jesus gave these disciples very specific instructions, didn't he? And if I make, may make the application, if we will listen to the Lord, he does the same thing with us. He tells us how to go, where to go, what to do, how to do it, if we will listen. And there's a very big point here that we don't want to miss in all of this. And here's the point, if you didn't catch it already. The point is dependency upon the Lord. The point is faith. Jesus didn't want them to go to the bank, take out a bunch of money, pack a bag. Okay, you know how we are, right, when we travel. Some of us can pack for a week in a little carry-on. And some of us need a 75-pound check bag that you need a cart to carry, right? But Jesus says, don't do that to these disciples. 
And I would imagine that they probably thought, well, wait a minute. I mean, why don't you want us to do this, Lord? And I think the obvious implication is that the Lord wanted them to depend upon him. He wanted them to walk in faith. Now, this was a unique situation for sure, but the principle is transferable to us, isn't it? That when God speaks to our hearts and he wants us to do something for him in his name, that he calls us to do so in faith. You know, sometimes we think, well, I can't do this until this, that, or the other thing happens. I I have a had a brother in Christ. He's now gone to be home with the Lord, but he was a Calvary Chapel pastor out in uh, western Connecticut, and I remember seeing him one time at a conference, just chatting with him. We were always friendly, and I remember this one particular time he was just in a very foul mood and just very discouraged, and as we began to talk, you know, his the, the church he was pastoring was just coming to the place of closing. It was just not surviving and things were not going well. And as I listened to him, he had said, you know, if I ever do this again, if I ever go out to plant another church, I'm not going to do it unless I have at least $25,000 and a team to plant the church. Now, there's nothing wrong with that if that's what God leads you to do. But he had determined because of his failure and because of his discouragement that I will never do that again unless these conditions are met. And you see, we can often do these things in the way we follow the Lord, right? We can have this thing in our mind. Well, unless the Lord does this and unless he provides that, then I'm not going to do this. And, you know, or we we have our, our way, we have our method. But, you know, what matters is what God says. What matters is how God leads and how God directs. You see, it's from this passage and other passages that we draw the principle where God guides, God provides. See, God didn't say, I'm going to do all these things for you. He said, I want you to go. I want you to go here to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Don't go to the Samaritans. It's not time. Go to the Gentiles. It's not time for that. That'll come later. But he didn't give them the answer. He just said, don't do that. And he gave them specific instructions. And Truth be told, don't most of us have trouble reading instructions or following instructions? I'll be the first to raise my hand. Most of the men here, okay, who who does not like to read instructions? I know Ken doesn't because he's done this at my house. (laughs) I love you, brother. (laughs) What's that? Uh, Just the one time. No, most of the time he doesn't because he knows what to do. But you know how it is with us, right? We don't like to, that's, well, my wife knows. I, I throw the instructions in the trash. She's like, don't you need those? I, I don't. I will say, thank God for her because she's fished them out of the trash behind my back. <laughs> and she read them. And so when I get to the point that I've frustrated them, ready to rip it apart, she's like, oh, you know, it says right here, if you do B before C. And I'm like, oh, thank you. But that's the way we are, isn't it? It's not just men, right? It can be a woman thing too. But you know how it is with the Lord. We want to do it in our our way, in our order. Okay, there you go. First amen of the day. People are waking up now. 
Where God guides, God provides. And you know, something that we often do is we, you know, we think about this situation, we think about Jesus sending out his disciples. Sometimes as we hear these words or we hear perhaps even what God is speaking to us as we're reading his word, maybe he's ministering to our hearts. Maybe the scriptures are coming alive and maybe we believe God is ministering to us to to go out and to begin to do something or to live in a certain way. We can, you know how it is, we begin to focus on what we can't do. Well, Lord, I can't do that, I can't do this. Unless this happens, then I can't do that. And the issue is we should not focus on what we can't do, we should focus on what we can do. What can we do? Well, if Jesus says do it and do it in this way and don't worry, I will provide, then he will. Then we need to take him at his word. We must have obedience to the name of the Lord, to the word of the Lord. Jesus is calling these people, these disciples, these apostles to go out. And you may remember in Romans chapter 10, it says, and and how shall they preach unless they are sent? And as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace and who bring glad tidings of good things. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Verse 15 of Matthew 10, Assuredly, I say to you, it will be more tolerable for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than for that city. In other words, if you go to a place and you walk in and you begin to speak and you begin to preach and you begin to teach and they don't receive what you have to say. Notice what he said back in 14. If they will not receive you or hear your words when you depart from that house or that city, shake off the dust from your feet. Now, in just a little bit, he's going to talk about our families and people we love and when we share the gospel with them. And you know how it is. Sometimes we labor over wanting to make someone believe or help them believe, but, you know, we can't do that, can we? Does anyone here have the power to make someone believe? You see, that only rests in the hand of God and the the work of the Holy Spirit and in the heart of that person to whom we speak or to to whom the word of the Lord is spoken. You know, God's word is powerful. It's living, it's active, it's sharper than any two-edged sword. It's able to divide to the very division of soul and spirit. It's able to judge the thoughts and the intents of the heart. You see, we're just the messenger, we're just the bearer of the word, of the message to people. And it's their responsibility before God to deal with the truth that they've been given. So we are to be faithful to purvey the word, to share the word, to proclaim the word, but they are the ones who are responsible to believe. And it may break our hearts, as I know it so often does, for people whom we love, who won't hear, who won't receive, who won't believe. And it should break our hearts. You see, we should have compassion on those who, as Jesus said earlier at the end of chapter 9, they're like sheep without a shepherd. They need the Lord. And certainly as Jesus reminds us and them that for those who don't receive them, who don't receive their word, he says it will be more tolerable for Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than for that city. Remember Sodom and Gomorrah? What a terrible story that was of how they had rejected the Lord and they had normalized things that were perverse. And they had taken sexual practices much as in our day is happening through the Equality Act, as I shared with you 
last week, and they're trying to force people to just say that's okay, and, you know, hey, do what you want in your house and leave me alone. You know, these are things that are a blight on our society, uh, not because, because man has rejected God. And when he says it will be more tolerable for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than for those who reject, you see, it's not the sin per se, it's the fact that we've rejected God, is that a person has rejected God. And he tells us here, he reminds us, if people reject you, if they don't receive you, if they don't receive the message of Jesus, remember, it's between God and them. Yes, pray for them. Yes, get on your knees before God and pray. God, bring somebody that they can listen to. You know, sometimes I can say something to someone, they're like, yeah, 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 but someone else can come along. For whatever reason, they can say it differently. Their their posture, their, their demeanor is different. And when they say it, they will hear it. And pray that God might do that. I have prayed so many times for people who have been on a hospital bed especially during COVID since we haven't been allowed the, the number of times I wish I could have gone to the hospital to see somebody, but I wasn't allowed in. So we pray, Lord, would you send someone, send a nurse, send a doctor, send an angel in there to speak to them. And we've had that, that situation happen to us. I remember one time we were in the hospital down in Boston with uh, Gabriella. She was having surgery. And as we were there, we were in the waiting room. I think it was in the recovery room. We're sitting there waiting And this nurse comes over to us and sits down just out of the blue. And as she sat down, she began to talk to us. And it was apparent instantly that she knew the Lord. And she just ministered to us. She just gave us hope. She said, hey, let's trust the Lord that God's got his hand on your little girl and she's going to be okay. And she prayed with us and then she disappeared. I don't know if she was a real nurse or an angel, but God sent her. And God can do those things. Well, as we continue in verse 16, behold, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. Remember earlier, Jesus said this as well. He says, there's going to be a time when we are going to encounter people who are like wolves in sheep's clothing. Therefore, be as wise as serpents and as harmless as doves. You say, how is a serpent wise? How is a snake wise? Well, how many of us could survive in the desert with no arms or legs? But certainly, the serpents can do that, right? They are wise. If you've ever watched National Geographic or any of those animal channels, you know that they lay a trap and they get their food and they are very wise. And certainly, this is referring here not specifically, I think, just to snakes, but remember the cunning of the evil one back in the Garden of Eden. Remember Satan as he came in and craftily snuck in and he spoke words that appealed to Eve and he deceived her and he got to the man through the woman in that particular situation. Not saying anything about women, they're just saying God often will do that. He'll find a weakness and he, uh, excuse me, um, Satan will find a weakness and exploit that weakness. So therefore, be as wise as serpents and as harmless as doves. We are to be innocent in the evil. But we are to be wise in terms of how we minister and the way we operate in the world. Beware of men, verse 17, for they will deliver you up to councils and scourge you in their synagogues. You see, the problem is people, the people who hate God, the people who will not receive the message. 
And as Jesus is speaking this to them, as he often does, he sort of switched gears here. He's not just talking specifically about what might happen as he's, as he's sending them out to these cities, but now he's sort of got that near and that far, that prophetic approach, where he's saying, At down the road as I send you out. After the Holy Spirit comes, these things are going to happen, and certainly that's when these things happen, because on, on this side of the cross, these things really didn't happen to the disciples, but on the other side of the cross... On the other side of Pentecost, it did happen. And so Jesus clearly has switched gears here, and now he's sort of looking forward, and he's saying, I'm sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. Be wise. Beware of men. They will deliver you up to councils and scourge you in their synagogues. And you will be brought before governors and kings for my sake as a testimony to them and to the Gentiles. Remember earlier he had said, don't go to the Gentiles, but he's saying later you will go to the Gentiles. But when they deliver you up, do not worry about how or what you should speak. Again, a word to these disciples, to these apostles, no doubt. And as we read the book of Acts, we see it, don't we? We see how in the moment where they were put on the spot, where they were before kings and they were being judged when Peter and and James were going up into the temple in Acts 3 and 4, about the hour of prayer and how they got put on the spot as God uniquely gave Peter the ability to heal that man who had been lame since birth. And all of a sudden, they're on trial. And now all of a sudden, they're being thrown in jail. And the Lord gave them in that moment, the Spirit gave them what they needed to say. Certainly later, this happened over and over and over. Paul and Barnabas, right, going to Philippi, preaching the word, being thrown into jail, worshiping the Lord about midnight. And then in that moment, The Holy Spirit came, the Lord came, and he shook the foundations, and the doors came open, and the chains fell. And the guard thought that they had escaped and that he was going to take his sword and commit suicide because he knew that he was going to be judged for the the crime of those who had escaped. And then they said, no, don't worry. Come on in, we're all here. And then as as the, the guard witnessed that situation there in Acts 16, he came to the point trembling on his knees where he fell down before them. And never has there been a more opportune time than for a person to come and to say, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And in that moment, Paul and Barnabas were given what they needed to say, or Paul and Silas, I forget. Yeah, I think it was Paul and Silas at that point. But at any rate, they were given what they needed to say. And certainly, we see this happen when we're out, when we're ministering, whether we're doing something deliberate like knocking on doors or maybe we're just being ourselves, living our lives and this situation presents itself and we begin to talk to people about Jesus. And you say, but I don't want to and, and I'm fearful and I don't know how to do it and wah, 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 wah. But the Holy Spirit will give you what you need. He will train you. He will bring scriptures to mind. He will give you insight to that person's heart. Don't worry about how or what you should should speak. It will be given to you in that hour what you should speak, for it is not you who speak. And here's the faith. Circle verse 20, underlined it. For it is not you who speak, but the Spirit of your Father who speaks in you. Jesus telling the disciples, the apostles, And by extension, this is something he tells us as we go and as we minister in his name. You see, we have that same spirit, don't we? 
In John 14, Jesus said, I will pray the Father and he will give you another helper that he may abide with you forever, the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. John 14, again, a little bit later, these things I have spoken to you while being present with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I said to you. Certainly for those apostles, that they would learn, that they would know, that they would understand, that they would know how to answer, but also that they would write down the things that would become Scripture. But again, the principle being for us, that as we've now read this word, and we've ingested it, and we come to church, and we listen to the Word of God. Now we go out. God calls those things forward. He brings them to mind. Freely you have received, freely give. Share with others the truth that God has given to you. John fifteen twenty six. when the Helper comes, whom I shall send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will testify of me. You say, well, I'm afraid to to witness of Jesus. Don't be afraid. The Spirit will witness of Jesus in you. John 16, the same kind of a thing. I still have many things to say to you that you cannot bear now. However, when he, the Spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will tell you of things to come. He will glorify me. He will take up what is mine and declare it to you. And all things that the Father has are mine. Therefore, I said that he will take of mine and declare it to you. You see, if you're worried about what to say and how to say it, you have the Spirit of God. And the Spirit of God will do these things for you just as he did it for these apostles, for these disciples. Now brother will deliver deliver up brother to death and a father his child. And children will rise up against parents and cause them to be put to death. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake. You know, coming to Christ and being a Christian is not a popularity contest. Jesus says a little bit later, I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. And it may break our hearts that there are those in our families who don't like the fact that we believe in Jesus or that perhaps even you're forbidden from speaking the name of Jesus in some people's houses. But he says, this will happen, and you will be hated by all for my name's sake, but he who endures to the end will be saved, meaning pressing through the persecution, enduring the persecution. And he says, when they persecute you in this city, speaking again back to these disciples, flee to another. For assuredly, I say to you, you will not have gone through the cities of Israel before the Son of Man comes. Again, now sort of looking forward to what's going to happen in a time when greater persecution happens. And I believe Jesus is speaking perhaps of two things here. One, of what's going to happen in the book of Acts as he sends them out. But I believe this is also a bit further forward-looking to the time of the tribulation, when there is the 144,000 Jewish witnesses, and they're out ministering and sharing the name of Jesus. And before the time of the end, before the second coming of Christ, things will get incredibly intense. You see, this applies to then, to, to the book of Acts. It applies to now, and it even applies, I believe, to the time of the tribulation. A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. You know, no one is ever smarter than Jesus, right? Even if you've memorized the entire Bible, you're not smarter than Jesus. 
It is enough for a disciple that he be like his teacher. And isn't that the way it should be? The Spirit of God's conforming us to the image of Christ. And a servant like his master. And if they have called the master of the house Beelzebub, the ruler of the demons, how much more will they call those of his household? Jesus bringing comfort to his disciples and to us, saying, look, if they called me a demon, remember earlier in the previous passage, they said, well, Jesus does these things because he's, he's, he's of Satan. And Jesus said, how, how can Satan cast out Satan? That doesn't make any sense. A house divided against itself will, will fall. It won't stand. And so Jesus is telling them, and here's the jump up, suffering's to be expected, isn't it? As a believer, Jesus has not called us to an easy, peaceful existence. Therefore, do not fear them, that is, those who would persecute, for there is nothing covered that will not be revealed and hidden that will not be known. In other words, God will bring everything to light. God will judge everything. It's not my job. Remember earlier he said, do not judge lest you be judged. Let's not impugn motive and get all caught up in judging people in that respect. But he did say later that we are to look at the fruit of people's lives to see if they're genuine, if they're legit. But he says God will be the judge. God will reveal those things that are in people's hearts. God knows the thoughts and the intents of the heart. And in due time, God will bring those things to light. Whatever I tell you in the dark, speak in the light. In other words, Jesus is saying to them, the things that I've spoken to you, that I've instructed, you're to pass along. And so it is with us as we sit and we have our devotions and we read his word. We go, oh, Lord, thank you for the promises that you've given me today and all that. And that's wonderful and that's good. But now take it. Take it and share it. Nothing is meant to be hoarded or kept to ourselves. What I tell you in the dark Speak in the light and what you hear in the ear. Preach on the housetops. Do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. You see, persecution from people. Now listen, this is the perspective of Jesus, right? These words are in red, just to remind you, if your Bible's a red-letter Bible. Jesus says, listen, the worst that they can do to you is kill you. Now for some of us, we're like, whoa, that's pretty bad, man. But Jesus said, no, 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 they can't touch your soul. Fear God, fear, fear him. Do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul, but rather fear him, fear God who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. See, what Jesus is saying is we should fear God alone. The problem is we fear people, don't we? We fear man. And when we fear man, we automatically Put that in front of our fear of God. When we're afraid of the opinions of other people and what they might say and what they might think. I mean, this drives everything, right? It drives fashion. It drives what we pack when we go on our trips. I need, it depends on what other people are wearing. I might want to wear this. I might want to wear that. You know, the fear of man is deeply embedded into our psyche. Do not fear those who are able to kill the body. That's all they can do. They can take your life, sure but only if God allows it. But they can't touch your soul. They can't touch your eternal destiny. Martin Luther wrote in his great hymn, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. Let goods and kindred go. This mortal life also. The body they may kill, God's truth abideth still. His kingdom is forever. 
The person who fears God alone needs never fear any man or group. The fear of God is the fear that cancels fear. There is no better cure for the fear of man than the fear of God. You see, when it gets twisted, when it becomes upside down, when we fear people or people's opinions more than we fear the Lord, that's a problem. We need to fear the Lord. I would commend to you, and we don't have time here to go through the 30 or so scriptures I have listed here in my notes from the book of Proverbs and from the Psalms that talk about what it means to fear God. You know some of them. The fear of the Lord is to hate evil. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord prolongs days. In the fear of the Lord, there's strong confidence. The fear of the Lord is a fountain of life. Better is a little with the fear of the Lord than a lot with trouble. We could go on. David said, Psalm 27, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? And that's what Jesus is saying, isn't he? He says in verse 29, Are not two sparrows sold for a copper coin? That copper coin he's speaking of is the smallest denomination. So we could translate that to our world and say, Aren't two sparrows sold for a penny? So we're seeing the significance. I mean, like, how much cheaper could you buy something? You can't cut a penny in half. And he says, and yet not one of them falls to the ground apart from your father's will. In other words, don't think that because two sparrows cost a penny or one sparrow costs half, half a penny, that it's insignificant. He says, in God's eyes, he knows even what's happening with those little birds. And he cares about it. And he says, but the very hairs of your head are all numbered. You say, you're worried about dying? I don't want to die. Nobody wants to die, really. But the very hairs of your head are all numbered. What does that mean? It means God cares about you. That means God knows who you are. And if God cares about a hair that falls from your head, And he knows where that hair is. He knows when it fell out, what day, what time, what millisecond, on the the atomic clock that it happened. The very hairs of your head are numbered. God cares about you so deeply. And yet you're worried about someone's opinion because you love Jesus. Do not fear, therefore. You are of more value than many sparrows. That's an understatement. Didn't he say that earlier back in... Matthew chapter 6, if you want to turn back there just briefly, I'm just going to direct your attention back to Matthew 6, beginning in verse 25. Do not worry. Look at the birds of the air. They neither reap nor sow nor gather into barns. Your Father feeds them. Aren't you of much more value than they? Which of you, by worrying, can add one cubit to his stature? If God clothes the field, will he not take care of you, O you of little faith? Do not worry, saying, what we shall eat, what we shall drink, what we shall wear, For after all these things the Gentiles seek, uh, for your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. That's what Jesus is saying here, isn't he, in chapter 10, as he's ministering to us? You are of more value than many sparrows, therefore whoever confesses me before men, him I will also confess before my Father in heaven. Whoever denies me before men, him I will also deny before my Father in heaven. You see, people cannot take your salvation. 
They can't change your eternal destiny because they hate you or because they put you on the firing squad or they put your head under the guillotine. Nothing will change your eternal destiny or your perfect standing in righteousness before God because of the blood of Christ. You will be with Jesus forever and ever. You see, the scriptures teach that to be absent from the body is to be present from the Lord. Excuse me, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. People cannot change your hope. Sometimes we value our lives too much. One person wrote, to confess him, to confess Jesus, means much more than to make a statement with the lips. It also means to back up that statement with your life. It is one thing to say Jesus Christ is Lord, and quite another thing to surrender to him and to obey his will. The walk and the talk must go together. Do not think, verse 34, I came to bring peace on earth. I did not come to bring peace but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and a man's enemies will be those of his own household. You know, we cannot escape conflict. We all wish it was different, don't we? But if you know Christ and you believe in Christ, and listen, maybe you should take a moment today sometime and think about your testimony. How did you come to faith in Christ? How did you come to believe? Is your life truly better because you are a Christian, because you believe in Christ, or is it not? Do you have the eternal hope of salvation that one day you shall be with God in heaven and you shall reign with him forever and ever? Isn't that better than losing your life here? You know, we're all, unless the Lord comes to take us home and we experience the rapture of the church, we're all going to pass through the doorway of death. I've watched my parents go through it. I don't want to go through it. If you've ever watched someone die, it is a heart-rending, emotional, soul-gripping experience. Everyone's going to die. Everyone's going to stand before the throne of God. And I'm afraid to confess the name of Jesus before others because I'm afraid of what they might say. Jesus makes it very clear here. There's going to be divisions in households. People will be persecuted. He who loves father or mother, verse 27, more than me is not worthy of me. He who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy. The love, the word he's using here is philo, phileo, affection, preference, honor, place. Now, he's not saying don't love your family at all. He's just saying we need to understand priority here. We need to understand relationship. Remember the scriptures tell us, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and your neighbor as yourself. You see, our love for God is to be supreme. It's to be first. It's to be the greatest preference. I always tell couples when I'm doing premarital counseling, now before you met one another, you were walking with God, right? Yes. You were reading your Bible. Yes. And now you've met one another and you're lo- this is the greatest thing since sliced bread, right? Now you've got a new best friend and all this. This is wonderful. This is great. But that marriage relationship can never take priority or precedence over your relationship with Christ. 
and then when kids come along, etc. You see, we have to be careful. We have to be weary of loving others, loving our family more than we love Jesus. He who does not take his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. Taking up your cross is symbolic of taking up the death sentence. To take up the cross in that culture meant you, like Jesus did when he took his cross as he was walking to Golgotha, to Mount Calvary, it was because he was going to the gas chamber, as it were, going to the place of lethal injection or going to the place, in that case, where the crucifixion would take place. Taking up the cross meant you're walking down death row to your final breath. He who does not take up his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. I have to love him more than life. In Luke 9, he says, take up his cross daily and follow me. In Luke 14, Jesus said, whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 15, I die daily. Verse 39, he who finds his life will lose it, and he who loses his life for my sake will find it. You see, the life that Jesus has given to us is far more important than anything else. I'm his servant. I'm his son. I'm his daughter. There's no middle ground. There's no way to protect my life and to follow Christ. It must be an abandon. He who receives you receives me, and he who receives me receives him who sent me, helping us understand that if people reject the gospel, if they reject Jesus, and although it feels very personal, it feels like they're rejecting us, he's saying, no, no, they're rejecting me. It may feel like they're rejecting you, but they are rejecting me. And then verse 41 and 42, he who receives a prophet in the name of a prophet shall receive a prophet's reward and the same thing for a righteous man. He's simply saying there, whatever reward a prophet would be, a reward of honor, or even a righteous man, whoever receives you, they're, they're also going to get honor. But the more important thing is that they believe in the message. And then not to be missed in verse 42, whoever gives one of these little ones only a cup of cold water in the name of a disciple, assuredly I say to you, he shall by no means lose his reward. In other words, there is nothing that is insignificant in the service of the Lord. Everything's important to God, what we do, how we do it. I'm so grateful for our team who comes in and cleans here and takes extra care just to make sure, you know, we've stepped everything up in the past year in terms of our COVID cleansing and all of that. And, you know, God sees that, right? God sees when we serve in children's ministry. He sees all these things, and they're all important to him. But here's the thing today as we close. Be bold and do not fear. Do not fear man. The fear of man brings a snare. We are to fear the Lord. How do we cultivate the fear of the Lord? I submit to you it's by being in his presence, reading his word, seeking his face. There's no shortcut to learning to have a fear, a reverence, an awe, and a respect for God that goes beyond any human relationship. And when Jesus says, confessing me before men, you see, that's a position of relationship. You know, we've all done this, right? We have a friend, all, you know, we're talking to somebody, man, this friend of mine, he or she, man, they're so great, and here's what they can do, and here's what they've done for me. And we, we love to do that, right? 
How about Jesus? What has he done? You know, Paul and the other apostles so often when they were being persecuted, they might have been preaching, they might have been telling the story, but so often they were just giving their testimony. And that's what Paul did, right? He, he gave his testimony. Well, Paul, what happened to you? Here's what happened. We were doing this, and then the Lord just appeared. Remember Peter when he appeared before Jerusalem Council? Here's what happened. We were there. God spoke to me in a dream. I'm supposed to go to Cornelius' house. I go there. I walk in. I begin to speak. Before I even get 10 words into it, the Holy Spirit falls upon them, and they just believe. What am I supposed to do? That's what happened. That's what God did. And if we would just take our testimony, here's what God did for me. Here's how he spoke to me. Here's how he saved me. Here's the things he's spoken to me from his word. If we would just be faithful to keep it simple and just to share what God has done for us, God will take that and use it. Yeah, not everybody's going to like you. Yes, not everybody's going to receive you. But you know, the point is not that they receive me or you or like me. The point is that they've heard the truth. The point is that they've been introduced to Jesus. And there's someone who can help them far more than any person on the face of this planet. And his name is Jesus. He's the only one who can forgive sin. He's the only one who can bring hope. He's the only one who can bring healing. He's the only one who can forgive the pain and the agony and the anguish and the guilt of my sin. Jesus can take years of, of therapy and in one moment he can bring healing. Be bold, do not fear. Go out in the name of Jesus. Let him use you as he longs to do. Lord, we love you today. We bless you. We thank you for what you've done. Lord, would you fill us up? Would your spirit guide us? And would we be bold in faith and just believe what you've said and do what you've said and be less concerned about us and more concerned about you? May we adopt the attitude of, of John who said, I must decrease and he must increase. Lord, strengthen our faith. And Lord, we even pray along with that man who was beating his chest who said, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. Lord, this morning, help us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.